This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Today we're going to cover the book Blood Meridian or The Evening Redness in the West by Cormac McCarthy. As for who recommended the book, that would fall to Jocko Willink, a former Navy SEAL and a leader of the Battle of Ramadi. He is famous for a, a couple reasons, obviously being a SEAL and, and for his work in, uh, in, in Iraq. But uh, he also has a book out that's called Extreme Ownership, and he does a lot of consulting with uh, companies. And there's a, that, there's a more recent book that just uh, just came out as well. Yeah, yeah. What's it called? The Field Manual. Um, it's a Discipline Equals Freedom, as I recall. Yeah, Field Manual. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and it's all black. Pretty pretty cool looking book, but uh, that's out. Extreme Ownership is is a book that's on my my list for 2018 here. So heard a lot about it just in different podcasts, and and um, I'll tune in on Jocko's podcast every now and then, and and listen to what he has to say. There, uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's he may have covered this book in one of the episodes, but, um, his, <laughs> his podcast is one of those where he is not afraid to go into the dark. And, um, so he, he did one about the My Lai massacre and, um, uh, during Vietnam. And so he, uh, he's not afraid to hit some of the, the, uh, the more difficult topics. And with his podcast, he, uh, he actually was encouraged to start that by Tim Ferriss himself in, the second most listened to podcast episode for the Tim Ferriss show. Uh, that was the interview of Jocko. And so after that interview, Jocko started his own podcast and it, it is now, now has quite a, quite a bit of success from that. So, uh, that's uh, pretty, pretty exciting. The author of this book is Cormac McCarthy. You may also know him as the author of all the pretty horses and the road. Those are, are two of, of some of his other, other big, big books. He is a recluse, a recluse. I think I pronounced that right. Yep. <laughs> and until his first interview with, uh, uh, unknown upstart named Oprah. So after that, he, uh, I guess he got pretty well in the public eye. I yeah, mean, he was, though, he was known for his still books, a bit but... of a recluse. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, shall we, we begin with the the overview of this of this book. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, and <laughs> and do our overview. I'm I'm looking forward to your comments on this because I know uh, I know how much you you really you really loved this book. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was just flipping through the the book and um, I make notes while I read it and and uh, in one part I just just flat out wrote I hate this book. <laughs> <laughs> And in, in other parts I wrote, I wish I had never read this book. So my one word uh, overview is that it is sadistic. And I do wish that I had never read this book. <laughs> we'll get into why in a little bit. But basically it comes down to this. And, and Jason, I want to ask you a question. If, uh, if I were to tell you that I had seen a movie 
And it was one of the best movies I'd ever seen. It referenced some wonderful movies of the past. So you, you, you kind of, you know, it captured different, different, uh, movies like Casablanca or the Godfathers or Braveheart or, you know, some, some, uh, wonderful movies out there. And it, it, it referenced old literature and it was just such a well done, well done movie. It's such that it's, it's an American classic, but it's rated triple X and you're going to have images in that, in your head from that movie that will never leave you. Would, would you go see that movie? Triple X? Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, I'm always complaining that there's not enough uh, sex and violence in uh, our current um, media affair. So, so yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. uh, Of course. Yeah, sure. Well, (laughs) I wouldn't. And uh, same goes for this book. It, It was just, oh, man, the, the, the amount of violence, but just the depth of the violence and the sadistic nature of the violence um it uh it it, i I didn't really know how to handle it so i also read this book during a time when we were moving from uh one place to another and so it took me a month to read the book and that was the longest out of any of the books and it's not it's not a it's not a super long book but uh, just with being busy with the move so it was a a terrible book i mean i I hated reading it and then it took a long time for me to read it and then while while i move and do stuff like that i'll listen to a lot of podcasts and i I started listening to a podcast about the spanish conquest of mexico was that by chance the uh, history on fire podcast with yeah 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 yeah. awesome Awesome. that was a great podcast series on the conquest (laughs) on the conquest of mexico yeah we'll put that we'll put some links to that in the show notes but if you haven't heard it it's it's excellent it's very well done and the history on fire podcast is uh is usually pretty pretty well pretty well done yeah his his most recent ones of jack johnson are yeah i just i actually just listened to the third one today Okay. So I, I haven't listened to the, the third one yet. But, yeah, 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 but I, yeah, I, I like Daniela yeah, Bellelli and, uh, yeah. and and that that podcast. But yeah, there I could see how they would blur a little bit because there's a yeah. lot of violence in that one. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I at the at the end of the book, I I I knew I'm, I've I've heard so much about this book, and it, it is considered kind of an American classic of of some sort. Why? Um, and why? so I, I wanted I wanted to find out why, and and I found a couple of lectures that were done at Yale about the book, and and we'll put those in the show notes, and maybe discuss those a little bit bit more. Uh, but the lecturer she talks about readers not being able to get past the the gratuitous violence, and that being kind of part of the point of the book and that was definitely me i just i just couldn't get past the uh (laughs) past that but what uh what about you yeah i mean for me the violence really didn't bother me all that much i mean it's like okay well violence yay i guess there's more violence all right well he's really descriptive on this violence thing (laughs) seems to like violence a lot well, there's more blood and, oh, look, this guy's just, you know, shooting out, you know, he's, he's spending, you know, a couple sentences talking about this guy shooting phlegm out of his, out of both uh, nostrils. You know, yeah, this is just, it's just the way he works. Okay. So he likes that guy seems to be able to write a good description in, you know, declarative sentences of gory scenes. All right. Yeah. So 
that I mean that didn't really bother me. It's just it is what it is. I mean, not a problem. I, I can handle violence perfectly well. The problem for me was the, the book was empty. So it's not the it's not the the violence that bothered me. It's not the you know if you're talking about gratuitous violence, it's not the violence part that bothers me. It's the gratuity of it. Yeah, <laughs> meaning that it's just there to be there. And so I found the book empty. Um, I, I didn't think so. You know, it's one of those things where the the philosophy under underlying the book, the worldview that the book sort of pushes you toward is something that is fairly at odds with the way that I think generally speaking, I, I think about the world and also I think uh, it's best to think about the world. And so in that sense, I just found it distasteful for that. It, I would have had no objection to reading a book that was full of far worse violence than this. I mean, heck the book of judges, if you tried to shoot the book of judges in the Bible as a, I tell my students this, uh, regularly, that if you tell the if you did the Book of Judges in the Bible as a as an HBO series or something, there'd be people like campaigning against it because of all the gore and all the you know nasty stuff in there. I mean, just horrible stuff that's happening in the Book of Judges. I mean, that's that's just you know violence is 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 what's going on, and you know violence is a big part of humanity, unfortunately. Um, but for me. When you include it's it's sort of like nudity as well in a movie, I'm you know I don't really have any objection to nudity. We have bodies, you know we're we're all naked under our clothes, you know okay, but like what's the point of putting the nude scene in the movie? Are you just putting it in there to titillate and to you know get you know seventeen year old boys leering or what? I mean, what's the point? If you if you have a point for it, okay, right? They're they're they're. There isn't, for me, the problem is that in this book, there's the end to which the violence goes is basically to say, life is nasty, short, and brutish. And that's how humans are. And we just need to reconcile this and, you know, basically come to grips with what human nature is. And I'm just sitting there going, well, I didn't need to read a book to to see that, you know, life can be nasty, short, and brutish. Yeah. Okay? Uh, yeah. But, I mean, th- and you can see that this, and I, I pulled a few quotes from the book in terms of, of the, the way that he gets this thesis across as he's going through it. Uh, one is he has one of his, uh, one of his characters, you know, the character through which uh, much of the... Uh, of the philosophical discussion comes through this character of the judge who we'll talk later, talk about later, uh, judge Holden. Um, this, uh, this character says all other trades are contained in the, in that of war. And then he's asked, is that why war endures? He says, no, it endures because young men love it and old men love it in them. Those that fought those that did not. And so you see there's, there, there's a recognition that, Young men like to fight, and then old men like to fight, and young men, and so war can war can, war is going to continue. And you know, there's this discussion that, well, these people won this battle and so on, but eventually their lot's going to be the same as the people that they conquered, and it's going to keep happening over and over again. And so you get to this, you know, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless kind of nihilism of this book, and 
that that's really where it goes. And and even to the point where the same character a little bit later says, moral laws and invention of mankind for the disenfranchisement of the po powerful in favor of the weak. Historical law subverts it at every turn. A moral view can never be proven right or wrong by any ultimate test. And ultimately he says, you know, de decisions of life and death of what shall be and what shall not beggar all question of right. Right? So... This question of morality, well, what's moral or not? Well, it doesn't really matter because the people who are going to be able to kill the other people and are stronger are ultimately going to be the ones that write the history and they're the ones that therefore set the mor morality to prop up their own position over and against those who are weak. And so the whole thing is a sham and we just, you know, we need to accept it. And then the person who sees this horror and then realizes that, you know what? That's how my heart works too. That's okay. Is the one who can dance in the end. I mean, that's that's sort of where this goes. And to me, that, that there's an emptiness to that. And it's not. Uh, I'll just say this: if 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 you know, we want to read the lies of the poets to use uh, a, a Platonic concept. This is not a lie. That uh, this is not one of the lies. Or even if this were th this were the truth, this is not the one that I would prefer to embrace. Mm -hmm. So that's my initial initial thoughts on it. Uh, but I, I suppose it's time that we go ahead and get to our favorite quotes section. Yeah. And you, uh, you should probably start again because as, as usual, you have more than me this time. I, I just have one. <laughs> yeah, I'll do, uh, I'll do two of mine. Uh, that way I can, you know, make this even a little bit. So the first one <laughs> is, uh, from one of the characters who's, you know, remarking on how remarkable something is. And he says, Ain't that the drizzling expletives? Gives you some sense of the kind of uh, <laughs> what kind of book some, this is. Some some good one-liners in it. And then we've got uh, another another one. They'd been skinned, and I can tell you, it does li very little for a man's appearance. You don't say. Yep. You don't say. All right. Your favorite quote. My favorite quote, quote comes at the end of the book. Um, in fact, it's the last two words of the book. And I'll just start out the quote. It goes, the end. <laughs> All right, two as, more uh, for me. As, as stated in the overview, I hated the book. And so my favorite part of the book, favorite quote, was when it, when it all ended. I just wanted it to end. Yeah, favorite quote for me. Uh, another two more for me. He was crying out to us to piss, Man, piss for your very souls. <laughs> In context, it actually did make a little sense, but it just—it was just exactly the kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> All right, well. I, I actually want to. I actually want to shout this out in in, in, a, in a bathroom at some point, like in a public restroom, <laughs> at some point. Which, by the way, it shouldn't really be called a restroom. You don't really like go in there and lay down or whatever. It should be a relief room. That, I, I I really think that the language would be better if it were called a relief room. You go in to relieve yourself, not to rest. Yeah, but good point. I mean, I, I guess I've been in one or two like sort of luxury ones that had like a a couch in there or something. Although I don't know why anybody would actually sit in there, but whatever. Anyway, um, then my final quote, and this one's actually one that was actually kind of profound and had some meaning. So I, I figured I'd stick one of those in there. There is no such joy in the tavern as upon the road thereto. 
I, I actually think that was there was some 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 profundity in that. That yeah, you know, you look forward to to the debauchery or whatever you know the 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 drinking in the tavern, whatever you're going to do in the tavern. You look forward to that. The joy of it is actually greater on the way there. The expectation of it is better than the, than the thing itself, uh, yeah. which is you know it's an interesting interesting point. And I think it's I think it's generally true. And that was a cool scene in the book. Um, it's one of the few cool scenes yeah. in the book. Yeah, where the Mennonite is basically trying to keep the the uh the men from from doing what they're about to do which uh for a little context for you for those who uh have not read the book and and again we recommend that you do not read the book it is not a um, classic i'm sorry it just <laughs> i don't know I, I didn't get it uh but if you want to read a classic that's written in some style you know in this kind of terse style descriptive style go back and read like the old man in the sea Right. Hemingway, Hemingway runs circles around this guy who's compared to Hemingway. But at least, you know, based on this particular book, read, read yourself some Hemingway and skip the McCarthy or at least skip Blood Meridian. Yeah. But basically the storyline is, is we, we follow a, a, a a guy who joins it unnamed. He, he uh, joins a crew whose job is to try to kill as many Indians as possible in what is the country of Mexico. And and also uh, New Mexico and you know modern New Mexico mm-hmm. and Arizona and, and and so on. This is actually based on it's historical fiction, based yeah. on the exploits of the Glanton gang, uh, and and specifically built on uh, the the uh, biography, which to some degree the tr- the truthfulness of it is questioned by historians. But the biography of a man who was part of that Glanton gang, which was pretty bloodthirsty and scalped lots of people. Yeah. Yeah, so um, you know, this a lot of this stuff probably happened, but um, well, not as he says it. I mean, he's making it up based on, you know, he's making up his own story, sort of to fill in stuff that. Well, there was this gang that did a lot of stuff like this, so I'm going to write what I imagine they did. Yeah, it's more like that. Yeah. So getting into the the nitty gritty of the book, um, there were a lot of allusions to the Bible to Paradise Lost, to Moby Dick, one of uh, the books that, that Jason has on his list this year, and also also to a, a Wordsworth poem. But I'm definitely not anywhere near smart enough to catch any of these illusions, <laughs> and I didn't really care to try. But uh, the those Yale lectures that I, I referred to and that we'll link in the show notes did help me better understand the book, and it gave me a little more appreciation for what uh, Cormac did with the novel. Uh, but did did you catch? I'm sure you caught a lot more of those allusions. Oh sure, to... I mean there there were lots of allusions all over the place. I mean even the the nihilism of the book there in some of the ways that he puts things. I mean it's reminiscent of the book of of uh, Kohelet or Ecclesiastes, which is you know one of my favorite bi- books of the Bible actually. But um, I mean there's allusions all over the place, and you know he's a he's. Uh, He's uh, he, he he does layer a lot of stuff in there, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of historical research that went into this in terms of dates and times and where the Glanton gang was at this time and, and some of the things that they actually did that's known. So, you know, he does work within that, but then he kind of lets his imagination carry off and, and make and, you know, creates a based on a few historical events story out of it. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff I caught and. But I, I just didn't. 
I didn't find it all that compelling what he did with those things generally. Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, I mean, the writing, I mean, he's, he's a descriptive writer. He can cer- certainly paint a, uh, a, a, a beautiful picture of a landscape before, uh, explaining that there's, you know, a couple skinned bodies, uh, strung up from the heels, uh, bleeding down into that beautiful landscape and do that in <laughs> equal detail. But, uh, you know, there, there, he's, he's clearly, you know, a, 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 a gifted writer who, who had a, a lot of, uh, uh, capacity to work with, work in all sorts of different illusions and so on. But again, I don't think that in itself makes, uh, makes a book worth, worth, worth reading. And have you read anything else by him? I have not. I read all the pretty horses, but it was so long ago that I, I couldn't even tell you anything about it. So I, I don't remember if I enjoyed that one or not. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I, I, I hear that and I think of my little pony. So that's clearly <laughs> not the same. So, well, it was, I do know it wasn't as violent as this one. Well, that's um, not a that's not a high bar to clear. Yeah, I guess the other the uh, other big thing we we can discuss is is the character of Judge Holden. It is a, a pretty memorable character and and one that uh, unfortunately will will stick with you after <laughs> after reading it. Um, what were what were your thoughts on on the judge? I really don't have a whole lot of thoughts on the judge. I mean, he's, uh, he seems as far as I can tell to be, uh, very, he's, he's repeatedly portrayed as, uh, in terms that are, you know, he is like, and then, you know, kind of pick your, your, uh, image of, of some evil spirit or, you know, demonic presence or whatever. And the, you know, the men that he's with are always kind of in awe of his, celerity and all of these things in ways that suggest that perhaps he's got some sort of supernatural aspect to him. And then by the end of the book, I think it's increasingly clear that, that, that he sort of stands in as a similar, as similar to like the Satan character in paradise lost, right? That he he is a, a kind of satanic character and you're left with this sense that he is a, he's actually a supernatural being, uh, though again, that's left somewhat ambiguous, but I, I think, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's the, 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 the impression that McCarthy wants to, uh, wants to leave the reader with, or at least, you know, writes it in such a way that most readers would be left with that, uh, with that particular impression. So, I mean, I don't I, I, clearly the, the, and again, we're in the nitty gritty here. So some spoiler alerts, although this isn't that big of a spoiler, you know when he's making the gunpowder, and uh, out of which you get that, uh, you know, <laughs> out of which you get that that quote, "piss for your very souls." Um, <laughs> when he's making that, I mean, you've got some allusions in terms of some of these things as well to to that kind of image. So there's some suggestion again that he is he is he's act, that it's Satan at work in the Glanton gang, and that they're following to some in some way. You know, this guy who is producing who's helping them produce all of these awful things but at the same point he's also just a portrayed as a a kind of a an especially gifted and bulky man so you know again there's some ambiguity i didn't i didn't find him all that compelling of a character to be honest well i did the the one thing that was just so weird is is he would he would get cultural artifacts draw them as best he could describe them in his book 
in, in, in the, the book that Judge Holden carried around with him. And then he would either burn or, or destroy the artifact. Yeah. So it was it like, out. yeah. So as long as he, as long as he had it in his memory or in his, in his book, it was okay, but he didn't want anyone else to enjoy that culture. And I guess, I mean, I guess if you're the whole goal of your gang is to go through and, and, and kill as many people of this culture that you can, you, you would, you would probably just, it, it wouldn't matter to you to get rid of the culture, but then why is he, why is he so interested in the culture to, to draw, to draw it before he destroys it? Well, I think actually there, there's probably some, some, reflection in, in, in terms of how McCarthy's drawing this up that what what the judge is doing is he's he's basically writing history in, in a manner of speaking sort mm. of uh, through cultural artifacts he's recording the artifacts but the things themselves he's destroying and in mm. this, and, and I think there's some suggestion that humanity works that that things work the same way for human beings and history that well we get recorded we leave our mark in the book of history and see, I think the judge's book is kind of metaphorical for this idea of, for history. And that, you know, because you have a few places where he talks about how human beings all wind up in a book of uh, one book or another. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, there's this implication that, you know, it's again, alluding to the book of life, perhaps from the Bible uh, history books, you know, what book you wind up in, you know, what books you wind up in, uh, those are there. But the thing is, you wind up in those books, but you, the essence, the very thing itself, you're going to die. You're going to be destroyed. And so, you know, once you've once you've gone down in history, well, you'll eventually be destroyed and you'll be no more. But, you know, your sketch, the, the, the memory of you, which is only a, a shadow, a shade of you, is is all that remains. And I think that's to some degree what's going on and how, how that is. And again, the judge is someone who revels in death. What's uh, what the, what comes to my mind is the Genghis Khan book we read though, where uh, Genghis Khan and, and, and the Mongols Genghis. would destroy culture or destroy whole people groups and there not be any trace. Left. You know, not like with this example, there's at least a sketch of the artifact, but with, with that, there's there's nothing left. You know, there's not even the sketch. It's like they they right. They're they erased killed from everybody. The they books. demolished. They're everything. erased from memory. They're erased yeah. from any cultural artifact. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. here again, the point is, yeah, there's lots of stuff that won't be remembered. And what he what he's doing is he's saying, oh, I'm going to make sure that it's remembered at least in my book, even though the book may be forgotten or whatever. It's going to be recorded and remembered. But the thing itself will be destroyed. And again, he mm-hmm. revels in death, but he seems to like the story. Yeah. Right. He seems to like what leads up to it to some degree, uh, so long as it suits his kind of nasty ends. And of course, he's a a pretty awful person. I mean, there there are so many aspects of the judge that throughout this. And once again, we're in the spoiler zone. So if you want to skip ahead a few a, a few you know thirty seconds or so, you can you can miss some things. But over and over again, you know, you see that some underage girl disappears in a place in, in a place in some place where they uh where they wind up and and it's usually connected with the judge's presence in some way uh mm-hmm. and then you know he winds up with little boys at different points you know there's one particular time where he 
takes a, a little Apache boy captive and rides with that boy, you know, over his saddle. And then he is, you know, clearly over a few days, you know, spending time with the boy. And eventually he's dandling the boy on his lap. And then a few minutes later, the boy's dead. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so what you find is that, you know, he's a pedophile and butcher, you know, kills multiple children, you know, basically rapes and kills multiple children throughout the narrative behind the scenes. You don't really see what's going on until the, until toward the end when some of the stuff that he's doing is, is, is revealed in, 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 again, in a scene where, uh, the Glanton gang is basically busted. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they finally reach their end and you see what happens, you know, what's going on with, behind the scenes with the judge though. Again, he, he doesn't uh, have the same fate as the rest of the Glanton gang. So, uh, so yeah, I mean the way that he is portrayed throughout, there's nothing, nothing positive about him. He proposes, he's a strong proponent of nihilism and given that nihilism, once you recognize that everything is nasty and brutish, well, I might as well just enjoy, I might as well just use my might to sadistically enjoy myself at others' expense as often as I want, mm-hmm. right? That seems to be the, the take that he, that he does. He doesn't blur any lines, right? He, he denies that there's good in humanity and then embraces that mm-hmm. as a character, one more spoiler alert for those of you who haven't read it and do intend to read it. Skip ahead by about 30 seconds. Yeah, and I, I just thought it was ironic that the the entire book, each killing is described in such uh, horrific detail until the last murder <laughs> of the book, which is apparently so horrific that that uh, Cormac couldn't, couldn't write about well, it. Well, that he chose not to write about it in order to make you feel that it must have been so much worse than anything else he, yeah. he, and he, so then he puts in. You're just left to imagine. So, yeah, nice. Left nice. to imagine just... what happens when a naked, a, a gigantic naked man attacks another man in an outhouse. Yeah, that's what a great ending. So, it, and it just kind of goes back to my the first thing I asked about. You know, if this was if this was a movie, would would you go see it? And I I'm very careful with the movies I watch because I I just don't want certain things in my head. And to read a book like this, put things that in my head that I don't (laughs) want there. And it's really the only book of the, the ones we read this year that, that did that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still really wish I had not read the book because those, those things are still in my head. And I just, I I'm careful in other parts of my life to not allow that. And, um, have you seen the movie Pulp Fiction? I think I did a long time. I don't know if I made it through the whole thing, but yeah, I mean, it's a similar reaction. Yeah, this that, this actually, just... the book reminded me in, in, in a lot of respects of Pulp Fiction, yeah. uh, which, you know, some of my friends think Pulp Fiction is one of the best movies ever, that it's a classic. And yeah. generally, I, I like, uh, you know, I like Tarantino, generally. I like a lot of Tarantino stuff, but Pulp Fiction was one of those films that I just as I was watching it, it was just like, it wasn't the violence. It was the, it was the nihilism of it. It was mm-hmm. like, come on, man. Right. There, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Like the, and that was kind of my reaction here as well. It, there, so if you really, really like Pulp Fiction, 
then you'll probably like this book. Yeah, and and when when I posted stuff on on uh, our Books of Titans Instagram account about this book, I mean it, it's it's a polarizing book. So I I got some feedback that the the, the people love this book, and then and then other feedback that that people hated it. There's not really like a middle ground. No, with this, this book, is not but... a book that's capable of middle ground. I don't believe. Yeah. <laughs> no. And again, I think a good test is if you like Pulp Fiction, if you've yeah. seen Pulp Fiction and you really you really think it's one of the best movies ever then you probably enjoy this book to some degree. Yeah. But if you watch Pulp Fiction and you're kind of like either, eh, not really a fan, or you just find it like completely empty and nihilistic and pointless, or if you have some objection, you know, to the kind of violence there, which again, that's not my issue. But if that, if that's the way, if that's your response, then I strongly recommend that you just find another book. Yeah. I uh, I ranked every uh, in in conclusion here. Uh, I I ranked every book of of the of the books that we read for the the 2017 list, and this one was at the very end. So of of, of all the books we read, I, <laughs> it's I number 52. Just, yeah, I just despised it. And uh, so if if you have read it and you're kind of confused on it, I, I I do suggest listening to to those those two Yale lectures. They really helped me in in understanding the book more and, and what uh, what Cormac McCarthy was 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 attempting to do. I I, I didn't it didn't make me like the book anymore, but it, I guess just appreciate more of, of what he was trying to do. So I, I would I would listen to that. But um, if you haven't read the book, um, you know, unless as Jason just said, you like Pulp Fiction, then then maybe you you'll like this one. But uh, there's a lot better books out there and, and I can't, I, I could never recommend this to, even if I knew of someone who loved Pulp, Pulp Fiction, I, I still would never recommend this book <laughs> that, that someone would read it. Yeah. I, so. I find it interesting that you, you've said multiple times that this book stuck with you so much and you, you know, you've gotten the show notes here as I'm looking at him, definitely a book that will stick with you. And, you know, uh, I'm looking at your notes. I found myself thinking about the characters, the incidents and dialogue from the book days after reading it. And the funny thing about that is this book hasn't stuck with me at all. Really? Like, I just found it empty and was like, okay, well, that's done. Like, there are a number of the books that we've read that have stuck with me. Like, it's a book that, like, man, I'm going to go back to that. Like, that. there's some ideas in there that I've just got my wheels turning. This yeah. book, I finished it, and I'm like, well, okay, the end. Yeah. Great. It just hasn't stuck with me at all. <laughs> and I, I, maybe it was the writing where just the the scenes are so vivid that it, it's kind of still in my imagination or I don't know what it was about it, but um, I mean, obviously the violence and, and, and the, the horrific nature of what happens. <laughs> uh, I just kind of think back to that and it's like, man, I just, I just wish I, that wasn't in my head, but yeah, it is. As for me, I mean, again, it comes back less to that, fact of the violence and more to the gratuitous nature of it in terms of the, it being empty there not being anything redeeming in this book and it, it gets back to to uh you know a a commonly cited uh insight or uh opinion of chesterton's gk chesterton that that I, I that resonates a lot with me uh and and that's specifically i don't need to read stories to know that the world is nasty and brutish and that humans have evil in their heart and that monsters exist i don't need you to i don't need i don't need to watch a, a movie or or 
read a book to to tell me how nasty human beings can be to one another. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't need that. I don't need I don't need fiction to be like, yeah, man, life is hard, and you know don't don't you get thinking that life is 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 really easy and that people are great. I don't need that because that that's that's something I already know. <laughs> What I need and what I want are stories that show that the monsters can be defeated Mm -hmm. and to help inspire me to do so in my own context. And this is the kind of work, the kind of fictional work that lacks that. It lacks the push toward redemption. It lacks the inspiration to do, you know, what's what's right and what's good. There's there's you know, if we we're going to be covering uh, Plato's Republic uh, not too long from now. I think that's the next one for us. Um, But uh, uh in you know in the republic there's some discussion and in plato in general in platonism there's this idea that great art uh reflects upon the good and the beautiful and i don't see a whole lot of that in this particular this particular book if anything it's reflecting upon the emptiness in the void and mm. I, I i would rather the things get to uh uh the opposite end now the, the actual quote by the way from gk chesterton we'll put it in the uh in the uh, show notes is this Uh, As he's talking about uh, fairy tales for children, he says, fairy tales then are not responsible for producing in children fear or any of the shapes of fear. Fairy tales do not give the child the idea of the evil or the ugly. That is in the child already because it is in the world already. Fairy tales do not give the child his first idea of bogey. What fairy tales give the child is his first clear idea of the possible defeat of bogey. The baby has known the dragon intimately ever since he had an imagination. What the fairy tale provides him is a St. George to kill the dragon. And again, this book is simply a reflection on the dragon. And for me, I, that I lose interest fairly quickly with those sorts of things. I, I want there to be some sort of, even if it's, even if it's subtle, some sort of indication of where, where this should go in a redemptive sense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, that's going to do it for us today. It this is our first episode of 2018, so happy New Year, Jason. Yeah, we uh, one year older. <laughs> we are all over booksoftitans.com. I've done a lot of work on the site the last couple of weeks with updating our our new reading list for 2018. Uh, Jason and I have a combined reading list. And then uh, I've also have our, our list separated out uh, for what we'll be reading, what we'll both be reading this year. So we're also at Books of Titans on Instagram and Twitter. And next week, the next book is Generations. And we're going to kind of be going back and forth between the 2017 books and the 2018 books. So for 2018, Jason and I are both reading 26 books that were suggested in the Tim Ferriss show podcast. So there's 1500 plus books from that list. So, we, so we've each chosen 26 from that. And, and so the, the podcast in the upcoming year here is going to take more of an interview format. So uh, for the person who's read the book, the other person will, will do more of an interview of, of the other person about the book. So we'll be uh, intermixing the, the podcast going forward, but uh and sometimes we'll probably along. do more than one in a week as a result of that. Yeah. Yep. So the next one will either be Generations or, or it'll be one of the uh, the first books that we we are reading. But go to booksoftitans.com. The, the homepage has the books that we're, we're currently reading. 
and you can follow along with us there. We'd love for you to read some of the books that we're reading as well. Might make the the podcast a little more enjoyable to uh, to be reading along with us. So thanks for listening. We'd love your uh, your feedback on any of the the episodes. Uh, ratings in iTunes would would be a big help. Thanks for listening. On behalf of uh, Jason Staples, Hello. I'm Eric Rostad, and this has been the Books of Titans podcast. Thanks for listening. Keep reading. Well, maybe not this book. Not this one. <laughs> keep improving, and keep listening. Keep <laughs> <Is> it real. <laughs> we'll keep it. <laughs>